0: Hey guys, Bear Grills here, just to say, super excited for Charles Thorpe's podcast coming soon. You guys are going to love this. What a great guy he is and so many great stories. So enjoy these and remember, above all, never give up. Now I personally believe that there's nothing better than a great adventure, whether it's to another country or into the backyard. It can have an amazing ability to change not just the way that we see the world, but also the way that we see ourselves. That is exactly what you're going to hear about from our incredible guests. On Great Adventures, I'm going to be hanging out with actors, athletes, thought leaders, and of course, explorers, some old friends and some new, to discuss how being adventurous benefited their lives. My name is Charles Thorpe. For over a decade, I've been chasing down epic stories professionally for magazines and television shows, and now I'm bringing those conversations here. Before opening Harlem's acclaimed Red Rooster Restaurant and cooking for President Barack Obama... Chef Marcus Samuelsson traveled the world from Sweden to Japan, developing a love for ingredients and adventure. As always, it was great sitting down with him,
1: Marcus. What's the latest? Started the summer with the festival Harlem meetup Up, which is like a celebration to kick off the summer.
0: I've attended a few yeah. times. It's such a great, it's, it's a, a great festival. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Good energy.
1: And then, you know, try to balance my summer between travel and, and obviously travel with the family, but also travel for work. And uh, we just opened in Montreal, so it's, which is a great traveling city, you know, like, especially in fall summer to go to Montreal, there's always some great festivals so we open our restaurant markets there you know when we open a restaurant it's not just the opening for me, it's also enjoying the city, understanding the culture, understanding the vibe and, and then um, took my son and my wife to Sweden and he had to change the pool for 82 degrees to like 55 in the <laughs> ocean <laughs> my son um, I'm telling him that there's a ladder to become a Swediopian Viking Right and and you know he has a fresh clean slate, but if he doesn't go into the water, like <laughs> then we're gonna have a problem. So he, he goes in, but it was hard. And the first days was brutal, and we we swim in the ocean every day, regardless. Right, and uh, you know it was it was brisk. <laughs> Uh, but he got in, and then he loved it. Yeah,
0: I wa- i do want to talk about Sweden because you've—you know—you you grew up there, and you—you you have a, a profound relationship with the country. So, can you explain a little bit about Sweden and, yeah. and what that was like, and what that taught you about food and ingredient?
1: You know, Sweden is a pretty large country with not a lot of peoples, which makes um, sets up for nature. You know, nature is really powerful, like. You are, when you're a kid, you're out running in the woods. Like, I remember running in the woods and then summertime being by the ocean. So those were, there's a law that makes all land is public. So when you go foraging, you don't have to worry about what land you're on. Or when you run in the woods, like, it's for everyone. So my memories of just being kids, like, picking blueberries, you know, or ripping up rhubarb maybe a week too early and they're super sour. And you know, and then maybe three weeks later going out fishing with my uncles and learning how to smoking um, the, the the mackerel and so on. So it's very much, it's up early, bad weather, good weather, you are wet and tired and, and, and there's always like a scratch somewhere on your legs. But it's, it's good times too, you know, it's really good. It's like. It reminds me a little bit about Scotland in the sense of it's just not, it's just a certain level of the wind is always blowing in your face, <laughs> but it's good, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, it it challenges you, but it also it also gifts you. You know, yes. like the same with the produce, and I feel like a similar uh, similar childhood in Maine. It was yeah. literally the same blueberries, rhubarb fishing for mackerel. Yeah. I mean, it's funny how different parts of the world can have such a similar experience. Exactly. How was your childhood set up? I mean, how, where were you spending most of your time? What's, like, the earliest memory that yeah. you have?
1: So, the school year, we were in the city, the, the blue-collar city of Gothenburg, you know, with Volvo and Hasselblad, and, and um, it's a big port town, but extremely blue-collar. And then the day school was out, we were up at Where my father was from when born, was we were in a fishing village, kind of like a Marsa's Vineyard setting, right? It's a tiny island, but packed with tourists during the summer. But we were on an even smaller island that the tourists didn't really get to. So I just remember being in the ocean and and doing all the work that you do there with your uncles and your family, like cleaning the boat, you know, (laughs) if you're lucky getting some fish. Uh, going out fishing and then keeping some fish you know maybe you keep some for the fam maybe you sell some there was always an adventure you Mm. know and it was around the boat in the boathouse and there's always something that needs to be fixed right (laughs) and still to this day this is the case you know (laughs) and and you're in tune with nature because if it was rough sea you can go out Mm. if it was the water was too low that means that certain fishes was coming closer in Mm. if the water was too steep that means that the boat tide was in danger. you had to go down and work on that so you know, when you live in an urban environment, those are things that you're not really in tune to, but, like, those were the skill sets that mattered. Like, if, like, knowing about prints mattered in the city, right? that was not transferable in the fishing <laughs> village. They did yeah, not give you anything. they the did not care, yeah. No, the mackerel
0: no. weren't coming to the, to the hook if you were, no. you know, singing songs, that yeah, sort of thing.
1: Not at all. And I remember, you know, driving out with my dad, and about 30 minutes before we get into the village... He turned around, and very often we did, like, a stop, and maybe it was, like, you know, we got ice cream or whatever, and we sat there, and I knew that's going to happen. He's like, hey, get that accent off. Like, you know, are getting, like... <laughs> a you know, city what? accent, yeah. is that what you're saying? And it was everything, like, it's all the currents, like, mm-hmm. no one cares about your converse. Like, right. he was like... "No, <laughs> <laughs> Nobody cares, like, and then you going out to help Uncle So-and-so. Mm. And it was like, you, you, in those 20 minutes...
0: Yeah, it stripped away yeah. all the artifice of mm-hmm. uh, the, the urban environment yeah. like that quickly. Yeah. I think that's fascinating how quickly we we fall in love with that. Yeah. I feel like I'm sure it, it, it's so nice that you got those experiences because as a, as a young man, you're yeah. starting to feel like, oh, I, I enjoy this. I enjoy this sort of interaction with nature. And mm. I'm sure that propelled you on the career that you, that you went yeah. to.
1: My my dad didn't know anything about cooking, but he taught me a lot about. You know, we had this incredible journey in the family. Between he came from a very blue collar fishing village, but ended up running his own uh, geology center. So PhD, traveled mm-hmm. all over the world, mm-hmm. and to go from blue collar to white collar, but truly being a blue collar individual in his in his that's we. If you asked him who he was, mm-hmm. he was a fisherman boy, right? But. On the card, is said he was a geologist. Right. So I look at myself from that environment, too. Like, at the end of the day, if you're going to ask me who I am, I'm a cook, mm-hmm. right? So something that is rooted in domestic and very blue collar, yet, you know, I get a chance to travel and experience at the highest level. Yeah. But if you ask me, that's who I am, you know what I mean? I'm more comfortable... Speaking to carrots and speaking to you—that's you know, no offense to you, but you just as a person. Of you know?
0: course, yeah, I, I get that. I'd rather speak to carrots as well. No, I'm um, no I'd, I'd rather I'm speak to you. Now. No, exactly, exactly. I love to eat carrots. Yeah. Let's talk about some of those early trips that you can remember. Yeah. What is one that stands out to you, and what's one that maybe enticed you in your love for travel? So
1: you know, we we were a very different family. We were not the only black kids in school. We were the only black kids in town. Right. Mm-hmm. So my father was more philosophical about that approach, and my, my mom was chasing down every parent in the neighborhood that dared to say something bad about us, right? Mm-hmm. So those steps down, so It's a good balance, yeah. I think. But in, in terms of travel, he, my father really prepared us for what was coming next. Ah, yeah
0: ah yeah, <laughs> Marcus is getting people up, approaching him at the Yo, window.
1: What do you do That's when a Rasta comes up? Like, you cannot speak bad about the Rasta right? We're here in the cafe and yeah.
0: we're exposed, so we have yeah. to interact with the nature. That's how you like it, though. That's yes. how you like it. Yes.
1: So, so, every other year, like, this is a time where the Berlin Wall was still up. So, every other year, my parents took us to France or Spain or Italy or... East Germany or Poland. Mm, yeah. <laughs> or, and so the year that we were going to Auschwitz, I was like about 12 or 13. Wow. Um, we were driving and you drive through Sweden and then you go through Germany and then you go through Poland and you're like, holy shit. And I think that trip will never leave me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought about, I will, you know, I've gone to a couple of plantations here in America and it's the only two comparisons I can do. You know what I mean? Maybe with 30 years apart or 20 or five years apart. But like they, I would never, I mean, I don't know. I've been on thousands of trips.
0: Of course. Those two. Yeah.
1: And so I'd actually be really grateful for my parents to take me to these places. At the time, you probably rather want not be. That's what they did. That's what they provide when I look in hindsight, what my parents really provided for me was this very different perspective. Yeah. You know, I think one of the advantages of being black in a, in a country like that is that there's no pretense that you're different. <laughs> you get told every day in school, <laughs> mm. but then, okay, how do you deal with that as a family? So, mm. you know, that was one of way, you know, we had a Jewish auntie growing up, and like, you know, we didn't really know what that meant, right, she was her auntie. The history of that, the story of that, yeah. No, the story of that, yeah. Like, and so, like, that's, I think she was really, my parents were really inspired a tune. by her yeah. and, and then we went you know
0: that's great yeah. can you tell us about your first cooking job and, and where that mm-hmm.
1: was yeah I mean I had great cooking jobs in the beginning and one of the most important ones was selling ice cream uh, being maybe like 12, 13 and I've, it was different than selling mackerel because that was not even a job that's what you did and you got hit on the back if you didn't sell it and so that I can't even count that's like birthday you yeah. do that right <laughs> ice that, cream
0: sells itself yeah too. and it was yeah. a
1: different thing too because sending mackerel you cannot vibe with any girls even if you're 10 <laughs> you're smelling mackerel but ice creams it was a different there we go. you had a little bit more leverage nice you know? it, it was a little bit difficult with you know the boxes and then your friends Came and course. They knew that you had ice cream, yeah. So like, then we like we used to mug each other. Like, if you had the shift, we just like killed, took ten, and then like your 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 uh, money didn't make sense. But but my older sister always had me back, had my back. So nice. she sent me with extra money because she knew we would get mugged.
0: You're like it just melted. I yeah, don't know what happened. Exactly. We lost it.
1: Yeah. So you're 11, and the guy who's managing is 16, and he's like, he's not, and he's like the oldest dude you know. He's like, oh.
0: So were are handing out free ice creams to girls. That's is that yes. what you're saying? <laughs> you come, yes, ice.
1: yes. But that was a very important job. Mm. If you work on a on a beach and, yeah. and and you know you're trying to get a leg up, there you know, whatever go. That is. So yeah. that was important. And then I always enjoyed it though, whatever it was around mm. food. And then that led me to the grand job of working in a hot dog stand. Mm. And maybe then I was fifteen, sixteen, and I took the night shift because. It was the coolest shit because you were free all day mm-hmm. you could play soccer and go fishing all day with your buddies, sleep a little bit in the afternoon, and then you dealt with people who were drunk all the time, so they gave you a massive tip. Mm-hmm. So you went much more money. <laughs> and, and, and you know, when you're like 16, like drunk, like you, you don't even know who's drunk, you have no yeah. clue. Yeah, like, this guy's like, a little weird, yeah. I don't know what's
0: going on. And like, yeah. they,
1: they always rounded it up, but in fact, the burger was like $8 or whatever,
0: Here's a twenty. Yeah, uh, like, I he forgot didn't care, right? <laughs> You know,
1: so so and I made. I remember because uh, me and my buddy that I were on the shift with, we made our own mashed potato. We we're like, screw this, we're not doing the powder stuff. Mm. So already we were doing our own mashed potato, yeah. which got word like in town. Yeah. So people came like, and then like, screw this, we're gonna make our own fried chow. Shall- uh, it wasn't shallow with onions. Oh wow! So we were like. You know, burning So soup. you're creating dishes yeah. at yeah. a hot dog stand yeah. that's
0: already started.
1: Yeah, and then we had this other plan like if we thawed out the frozen burgers earlier, they wouldn't be go frozen on the plancha so we can get them up quicker and serve the line. It like was like hustling already.
0: So you're already running a kitchen. Yeah. It's yep, pretty yep. much like running your own little mini yeah. mobile kitchen.
1: And then the oldest dude you know is like 22 and he's like the manager, which means like sitting outside, <laughs> drinking beer. <laughs> right. Are we closing up yet? And we like, no, because <laughs> we can make like 15 more bucks the last hour, which is like four o'clock in the morning. Later in the day it yeah. gets, yeah. Yeah, so those were, you know, those were fun moments, you know. I'd like to welcome a new
0: partner to this endeavor, Hiatus Tequila. Hiatus means to pause or break a sequence, which I believe is a great message. I'd always been a bourbon or whiskey guy until recently I started dabbling with tequila, especially in the summer. I met the founder of Hiatus, who's a fascinating guy and has done his due diligence in Mexico. Check them out on Instagram at Hiatus Tequila. so the first time you left home to, to work in a kitchen it was in Japan mm-hmm. can you describe a little bit of what that experience was and what it was like working in a in a different culture
1: it was it, I wouldn't even call it working it was like I was I slept on my father's friend's couch and even just making the subway was. You have to, there's, there's no internet right so right. you're in a foreign country and you learn how to get to the subway once or twice maybe and then you're on your own right so that was a whole get up and then getting into the kitchen, not even touching the fish, not even like it was definitely peeling carrots and then eventually one day get to the fish and eventually you realize you you knew something and they saw that I could handle fish because I worked with fish since I was a child. Mm. But, you know, one of the coolest things about being an immigrant like that or, or, or being on a journey like that is that language is not there for you. So you gotta communicate in so many other different ways. So through eyes, through smile, through, you know, like it becomes very charismatic, but once you break through that wall, it's amazing. You know, yeah. it was probably one of the, I I would say one of the most successful experiences in my life was when I was, I, I left and I'm like, wow, that was awesome. And I came home and I saw like, Oh, Johnny is still stealing cars, and Lisa is still da- dating da- Dan. And I've been to Japan. Right? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I, nothing had changed. Preparing for, fish. Yeah, like nothing had changed with my where I was growing up. Right. And I just been to in Japan you know right. it's amazing
0: so how were you how are you living in Japan I mean were you what were you eating there when you were first yes. moving there I mean what were the fish the, that you were preparing well
1: you first of all you eat with the, the family so you were maybe on Sundays we went out to eat and it could have been something like a sukiyaki for the very first time introduced to you like boiled beef but it of course wasn't boiled boiled it was like this sweet broth that has so much umami, and I didn't even know what umami was mm-hmm. So I was exposed to that. Right. Then going to a matcha class, sitting for two and a half hours and learning about green tea. Mm. I thought tea was from England. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like, that's what I, what I was taught. Mm. And here's a 2000 year old culture that what, what the hell is this? Right. And then going to a department store and in the sub-basement, they are selling dried miso, wet miso, red miso, flavor components and I'm like, Holy shit. Incredible. There's a world here that I'm so attracted to. I went to experience blowfish, which is a seasonal experience from October to January, and it blew my mind. One fish, seven courses. Everyone knew what to do except you. These restaurants are seasonal restaurants. They're in sub-basements, first of all. You only pay cash. I didn't have that money, so the family of the money for me. And everyone knew the courses. You, know, you started with a little bit of sashimi. Somewhere in there there was this, uh, a sushi bite with rice. And then eventually there was a little bit tempura. And eventually you end up with a uh, congee, like a por- porridge, off the bone and broth with fish pieces in it. And I didn't even know this was possible. That I felt I was like... I had homework,
0: and I still feel
1: like I'm on that homework ride. Mm. And so I I always said, like, you know, I've been by myself, you know, cooking for a very long time, but I'm always busy because I have homework. You Mm. know what I mean?
0: I'd love to hear what it was like to open your first restaurant in a different city and what it was like. You know, you're going through that experience again now with, with Montreal, like you just said. What, what was it like to sort of take this name that you've built up, reputation that you've built up over the years and then, you know, immerse yourself into a city and what was the first experience with that?
1: Having been an immigrant so many times, you learn how to um, adjust and listen. And what left turns, how do I navigate? And uh, those were skill sets that you need when you go to another city. You have to, for me, it's like, the restaurant is the reflection of the work that you did coming up to this, right? And let me present you our version. It uh, might not be the right version, by the way, and I might misinterpret this, but I'm trying. You know, I've gone past. I respect the past. I'm right here in the present, and here's how my take on it. Here's my love letter back. Mm. And that's a very humble journey. It takes a lot of work and intent, and, but it's also interesting, because in that you meet the writers, the musicians, the cooks, the people that, the bartenders, the people that, you know, the tattoo artists, the people for me, that added an enormous amount of value to the place of why I choose to go there. Right. Um, and uh, end of the day, a restaurant means to restore a community, and if you've done the homework and seen it through the right lens, you can upload all that through that you know mm. storytelling does that music does that food does that in different delicious ways and it, and it and it hits that perfect link between inspire and aspire right we need both we need to be as, you know we need to be inspired but we need to also have places to aspire to you know and and in Montreal I, I thought it was amazing because you have that obviously it's a French speaking predominantly French speaking town so you had some European sensibilities but it's also in North America and this you know, this, you know, push and pull, which there's a lot to learn there, you know? And I, you know, we're we're just five months old, so we haven't figured it out yet, you know? I will never, I don't think there's a day day there that you're like, oh, we're here now, you know? Right. I think a little bit of startup is always very good because you are then humbly, you're like, part of being in a restaurant and retail is that you never know about tomorrow, and it's nothing wrong with having that little humility, you know?
0: absolutely absolutely and then you, you know obviously you've worked on a couple of great shows a lot of love content out there of you exploring and using this love for for travel and and um opening yourself up to different cultures do you have a most transformative experience uh, during that maybe did you go to a city that maybe you weren't really expecting how much you got out of it
1: i was lucky this year we've done two things in that in the content space we just finished Our Harlem, which is the first digital cookbook. I learned and enjoyed so much working on the product because all the people that helped me open Red Rooster, we had a chance to talk to and, and upload their journey, their story, and it was amazing, right? And you learned so much about this place, where I call now home, mm. and I relearned it, and it was new things. Right. And I might not be able to translate in a restaurant, but... He's there, you know, like it's like an inside of a jacket. You know it's there. Yeah. And that was amazing. It was, it was a re, like, you know, the migration. It was, it was really fabulous to talk about again, you know, for learning from me. Yeah. And I hope that the listener can connect. In a, you know, wow, this is, there's some depth there. Then going to, I mean, working on No Passport. I can't call it a job because it is. it is my dream to be able to connect people through food and through storytelling. So I think that hearing, the, hearing the, the Armenian story in Los Angeles, for example, in Glendale, there's this craftsman that makes this cured meat. He's done it in his family. They've done it in their family for 400 years. So there wasn't a question what he was doing, right? And he left Armenia a long time ago. But in East LA, in East Hollywood, He's got this shop, and people come from all over the world. And so he's never, uh, you know, left that. And it's like, if you ask him, "What? Who are you?" That's what he is, right? Just listening. So it didn't matter if he was in Armenia or in in LA, which obviously is very, very different worlds. He he kept he honored his family's work. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? The story, listening to that. I mean, I know it's not a. Grand, like, like, but it is no, something it to absolutely me. is. Like, yeah, and he's super bright, super intelligent. He could have gone in any different direction, but he posted up there because that's the technique. Because once that technique is gone, a part of Armenia is not represented in. You know, so he's holding that up. Mm. So that's something we talk about. At no passport. It was incredible to be in Houston to look at the Nigeria and the West African contribution to the the city of Houston, and it was fascinating to me. It's like. Houston is one of the most, if not the most diverse city in America. So it gives you a very interesting view, a narrative on Texas. And restaurants have a massive thing to do with that. And it connects the city in a very spra- spread out city. And uh, as Vietnamese food and Indian food has done massively to that. And now West African is coming. And uh, it's young, it's fresh, it's hip, it's cool. And you know, I just, you know, it's just fascinating to me. And same thing there, eating fufu you have this technique called swallow. So you eat the fufu with a fish tube with the bones in and everything. Mm. And you just have to dip the fair hands in the fufu, eating the fish tube with the bones and just swallow. And if you're not like doing that.
0: If you're not ready for it.
1: Get out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, you I'm sitting here, I'm eating all over the world, but that time I'm here, I'm like mm, <laughs> mm, You know, and yes, I'm a fellow African, but I felt very Swedish at that moment. Right. Yeah. Well,
0: that's, I think that's so, those, those experiences are so eye-opening. Yeah. And if you dive in, then you can have this tremendous yeah. experience.
1: But, you know, food also, because we, food and travel, for me, truly gives you an opportunity to see the best, best in people. And it's one of the things that, why I love hospitality so much, it's one of the opportunities to get to know the best version of you and here's something that we crafted for you. Mm. And I think in this day and age, there's never, ever been a time where you needed... The best version of other and yourself because we live in such a divisive moment so it's it's i think something like working on no passport gives me a real meaning because it's an opportunity to connect the best of us the best in us
0: i think you know working on your show no passport required obviously you have a love for the united states and, and yeah. how diverse it is you had the opportunity to cook for the president barack obama which was Can you tell us a little bit about what that experience was like for you and and how that came to be?
1: Yeah, doing their first state dinner was amazing. And um, it's the biggest honor, you know, you can have as a young chef coming up. And uh, I loved it. It it was very humbling. But I'll tell you what I loved even more was after the dinner is done. So, you know, we had 44. That was very strict. You have 45 minutes, four courses. And after that, I think it was Jennifer Hudson was coming on or something like that. It's like, all right, like her voice. It's not usually yeah. like
0: yeah. every dinner that you have to worry about yeah. Jennifer Hudson yeah. showing up at the right was time. Like,
1: yeah. the, and the person that was speaking to me was like, so Marcus, you have 44 minutes. I'm, I might be able to give you another minute. I'm like, thank you. I'll take that minute. Right away, I knew that I needed that minute. I needed 45. Right. So, um, but after everything was done, he and the the president and the first lady they just shaken 400 people, guests, or whatever it was. But they came back in the kitchen with, you know, the security and everything. And there was a third guy there having a wall ready, like a roll down wall. And, uh, you know, he was nice enough to speak to me and my wife, and it was super, super sweet. But he also took the time to, you know, with a meet-and-greet, but all my cooks was like bum-rushing this moment because they were so excited. Of course. And Chef Sam Cass said have them come and it's okay and he looked over to the president and was, like, was okay with it and he stood there for another 15 minutes after like a four hour dinner whatever it was between music and greetings and saying hi in the line and talked to my line cooks mm-hmm. and the first lady in that It could not be more uh, you know, hospitality. I mean, they gave, they showed you hospitality. This is the tone of hospitality. Yeah. So this was a memory. They realized this memory is not only a big memory for them because it was the first state dinner. Of course. It was the first. It was a big, big, humongous memory for every person that they touched. Mm-hmm. And that was the cool thing about that. I will never forget that, and I will always be grateful for that.
0: Were you uh, as stressed or more stressed than usual cooking for them?
1: Yes. <laughs> <Yeah. I> was,
0: <laughs> but you made it out all right.
1: I did. You know, when you know a good moment is like, we crushed it, we had a great time, and they had us in hotels. And I was like, you know what? I told all my Cook's like, screw it, we're going home. So we had to rent this party bus, oh. and we drove all the way back <laughs> from D.C., and I just remember like, you know, everybody's drunk, we uh, played we had, like, stupid karaoke in the bus, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Because you know when you, like, this g- only going to go downhill from here of in terms of this moment. Yeah. And my cooks to go in town and get drunk. Like, no. Yeah. If you want to get drunk, you're going to get drunk, drunk in the bar- part of us. So there we had a- go. Part of us coming
0: in. Let's ride this bus <laughs> yeah, all yes. the way back. All
1: the way back. Uh, I love And that. we had so much fun. And That was our moment, and we knew like, wow, just got off that bus at six am. We're like, "Wow, this was good.
0: Yeah. Um, we talked about the states, but internationally, has is there any place that you've been recently that has really surprised you or or maybe taught you something that you didn't previously know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that um, that change is everywhere, you know, that you know, we work a lot in shortage in East London. And talk about storytelling and graffiti and community, but it 's right next to Amazon and vice and new buildings right so this fear of new and what 's going to happen to to us is everywhere mm-hmm. you know you know shooting with Anthony Bourdain in ethiopia the the road to my when my f when I was born used to be this like dirt road, and uh, there's There's a brand new road there now that people can drive, and there's like a massive, you know, infrastructure that has helped people, like obviously, send goods on it. But it's like you're two outside outside Addis in this tiny village, Mm. and change is coming there as well. So whether that's gentrification, the change of fear or good, that idea is not a Brooklyn or Harlem idea, Right. right? In my fishing village at home. There are new towers. Uh, you know, like, to, my parents are not around anymore. But to, I was thinking about it as I was driving my kid there. And I was like, how would I explain this to my to my father that there's, like, mm-hmm. a 20-floor you know floor tower here now? Like, right. how would he even, like, yeah. fathom that? So this idea of change is everywhere. And it feels about the same everywhere. You know, people are a little bit insecure. What's going to happen? some people are really excited about it and i think that's the opportunity to really talk about those things and that's why i think writing music food can be the connectors of that and help everyone kind of like understand the process of 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 change which is so hard and so difficult
0: yeah no i think that's a great message and i think it's important to remember to appreciate what it is now in this reality yeah. And if you can travel somewhere and you go into a little village that you love, don't say, oh, I'll see that when I come back or I'll appreciate this when I come back. Really soak in that moment Mm -hmm. because who knows what the future will hold. And then, like you're saying right now, embrace what's coming up. We have to be comfortable with it. It's great to talk about it, but Mm -hmm. I think it's the world's going to keep on turning. You know, hopefully people will. You know, right ourselves a little bit right now. Things are more worrisome than, than usual because of what's going on in the environment and in the digital age.
1: I think, you know, also like when I travel and work, I'll, I'll do small things around the food. We get to the food, right? But one thing that I've done a lot, we're doing a lot now, is also we, we always post up with a soccer match somewhere where everybody from the dishwasher to the front person gets a chance to meet. And it doesn't matter who you're playing against. So in Sweden last week, we worked with this young refugee camp and sitting at dinner with these guys, we played the matches, just a handshake to get together, but listening to the the stories of the kids, you know, Mm -hmm. like they're like 18 to 26. One guy grew up in Afghanistan, one in Syria, and... You know, just, I felt so blessed and how, like, it makes, you know, their perspective, right? Which is eventually our perspective, eventually going to become our perspective, too. It's like soccer did that. If I, you know, if I, if I said to him, come to my restaurant, he wouldn't even know how to get there. He, he would yeah. not think of what, but he knew how to, because he played soccer in Afghanistan. Yeah. You know, and it was just amazing we were breaking bread and listening to these stories and now how do they integrate into society and how do they get jobs and all of those things that you can eventually start talking about. So I think any time whether it's music or sports or uh, writing or whatever those connecting tools are and I wish that, you know, when you look at listen to those really angry U.S. congressmen, I'm like, have you ever eating a good meal from another person like not just been to a restaurant but actually being fed mm-hmm. have you ever listened to like music that is worldly yeah have you ever like actually engaged or have you ever done a sp- shared a sport with another person I just wish I could you know like bring them with you to a soccer match like that yeah you know People who say ridiculous stuff. I'm like, it's such a sign to me that they've never been nowhere.
0: And also that they're ignoring those other languages that yeah. you brought up before, whether it's music or yeah. you know, even when you were talking about being an immigrant and yeah. using your eyes and yeah. smiling and, and a sport. Exactly. I, I think that's, that's absolutely what people should be thinking of more. I'd like to wrap this up with two different questions. I'm going to hit you with them right now. First is, if I hand you a plane ticket to anywhere... Where would you go and what would you do?
1: I'd probably go back to Japan and I would eat.
0: Go to Tokyo or somewhere else or Kyoto? uh,
1: I would uh, explore um, a new place. I would probably take the train, go out on the countryside and Mm -hmm. and, um, figure my way back to Tokyo.
0: Talking about it has made you... uh... No, but like
1: hitchhike or something like that cool way back and figuring it out and, you know, great road stories and, you know...
0: And lastly, if I say your favorite sunset, what comes to mind?
1: Uh, it's it's still gotta be Hawaii. It's like crazy. Mm. It's cry. I it's been a while, but it's what island? I know the Big Island the best, but it's not. There's, there's the one with the K. I forgot the name of Kauai. Yes, it's yeah. beautiful.
0: That's a good one. Yeah, I love those. Those just stick in your mind and yeah. the sensory memory of that.
1: And even waking up. It's even better
0: thanks for listening guys <laughs> if you like what you Whoa. heard hit subscribe, just and full day yeah, my sounds pretty good yeah, especially. Just a actually use a little travel Marcus, thanks so much for being Thank here i, I really appreciate you it or suggestion on someone i should chat with just hit me up on my social channels at Charles Thorpe and at adventure podcast new episodes will be dropping every friday so keep checking in for the next until then safe travels These conversations were recorded at Smile Radio, located in Smile to Go at the Freehand Hotel.